Welcome to the Women Unveiled podcast. I'm your host, Erica Etienne. On this show, I have real conversations with women who remove their masks and share uncut and unfiltered stories of faith, redemption, sacrifice, and more. No subject or story is off limits. It's my belief and my testimony that God is a redeemer. Nothing we experience is a waste. The Lord can use everything you've gone through for your good and His glory. Each week, you'll learn about God's faithfulness, the truth of His power, and how He is present in every trial, just as He promises. So whether you're a new believer or a seasoned saint, you'll be encouraged, empowered, and equipped to keep fighting the good fight of faith. Let's get into this next story. Hey, welcome back, everyone. I am so glad and so grateful to have a special guest with me today. This is my sister, my mastermind sister, soul sister. We like to say we're soul twins. I have the Lexi Johnson with me. Lexi participated in my last book project, Women Unveiled Volume 2, Secrets of Strong Women. And her chapter in that book was called On Course for a Train Wreck. But let me give you just a little bit of background about her beyond that. So Lexi is an international speaker, licensed financial coach and advisor, co-founder of the Global Smart TV channel, Lexi TV, and she's also a pastor. During 2008 to 2011, God led Lexi through a series of devastating financial events that changed the landscape of her life. Since then, She has been recognized and acknowledged for her work in financial services, both in the U.S. and abroad. She's on a mission to help women change the face of wealth for the purpose of advancing the kingdom. She does this by revealing and teaching simple kingdom financial concepts, helping you to establish your financial game plan, and assisting you in executing your plan. So she is the money woman, okay? (laughs) Lexi, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Erica. I'm excited to be here. Yes. How have you been? I've been good. I've been good. People always ask me, hey, how are things going? Like, well, everything and nothing is going on, if that makes sense. Uh-huh. <laughs> You're somewhere saving the world and also trying to stay afloat, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> That's how I feel at least half of the time. So I want to jump in and just talk to you about this whole money journey of yours. I think it's so important to get our money right. I have spoken with you about my money, and I know I've referred many of people to go have a conversation with you because you know it's a subject that we're sometimes afraid of, especially because there's so much that's not known and so much that we weren't taught. So I want to just go back. How did you even get into this? What led you here? Wow, what led me here? Well, first of all, you should know, you know this, but your audience should know, like I never liked numbers, never. So for me to even think that I would be remotely a part of an industry that dealt heavily with numbers, it was insane. And so to see that I'm in this industry now, God certainly has a sense of humor. (laughs) But how I ended here was through some life experiences between 2008 and 2011. So what happened at that time was I lost my, well, it started with my ex-husband. He lost his job. We were good, you know, because I was making good money. So I was able to keep, you know, the family afloat until I lost my job. And then everything hit the fan. And so you're talking about, you know, bankruptcy to, you know, homelessness to 
just all kinds of financial devastation, anything you can think of that could happen wrong in finances <laughs> happened at that time. And that's because we just weren't prepared as a young couple. It had nothing to do with the money that we made because we made good money. It was just, we didn't know what we didn't know about money. Yeah. And did you guys even have those kinds of conversations going into your marriage about how to manage it, how you wanted to use it, financial goals, anything? Not at all. No money conversation at all. And the interesting thing is, is that we did have premarital counseling through our pastor at the time. And I honestly cannot recall that we talked about money. If we did, it had to be something very basic, like maybe who would handle, you know, do are we going to have a joint checking account or something like that? But nothing deep, nothing at all that, you know, today, if I had this knowledge that I had today, then, oh, there would have been several conversations about money and other things. <laughs> Listen, hindsight is one. 100% 2020. Like there's so many things I would have done different when I was 18, leaving my mother's house with my money. Had I known then what I know now, like so many things that I did wrong. I knew to pay my bills. That yeah. was it. Right. I just yeah. didn't know anything else to do with it. You know, you pay your bills and the rest is for fun. Absolutely. And I got married according to society standards, a little bit later than most people did. I didn't get married until I was like 26, 27 years old. So I'm thinking at that time, you know, I'm a little bit older. Yeah, I know, you know, about getting into relationships and marriage and all. I didn't know nothing. I didn't know a thing. So I just want to get into this piece. You know, they can read all the details in your chapter, but I just want to highlight this because money is a big driver for broken relationships. Did you and your ex have a lot of disputes over money? Oh, absolutely. In fact, the majority of our disputes were over money. It was over money. And then the other subject was the fact that he thought I was out cheating somewhere, which was not the case. But those were the two things, you know, and I say this very gently because I want everybody to, out there to know that he and I are okay. Like I don't have any beef with him. He doesn't have any beef with me or anything like that. But he didn't know much about money either. And probably even a little less than I did. He was an only child, somewhat spoiled, you know, where I was one of three, the oldest at that. I was taught responsibility. I was taught, you know, all of these different things. And, you know, as it relates to money, I paid the bills and all of that. And so, but a lot of our arguments were about money because it was more important for him to have money in his pocket and to be able to spend it as he liked. And for me, it was more important that you take care of things. You take care of the bills, you take care of, you know, and if you need to sacrifice having fun for a little bit, then that's what you do. So interesting. <laughs> I'm the baby. I was spoiled. <laughs> And so I really had a poor concept of how this whole thing worked, right? So much so that I can remember the many times that if I saw my bank account get to a certain amount, I'm like, oh, this is my stopping point. Now it's time to call my mom. Okay, mommy, can you pay for this, this, and this? Or can you send money for that? And she's like, you're 
in the military. Why? You get paid on the first and 15th, like clockwork. Why are you calling me? Because for me, it was like, well, I'm used to you buying the extra and doing the extra. My first husband, also the youngest, also spoiled. We were in that thing together, right? You call (laughs) home when you want the big stuff. You take care of the small stuff, ask mommy and daddy for the big things, right? So complete disaster. (laughs) That's a complete disaster waiting to happen. So you and your ex are on two different pages about money, stuff hits the fan, and then what? So I remember we had our pastor to come over because of all of these arguments that we were having. And, you know, some of the arguments were even physical. And so our pastor came over one time. It's funny now. I thought, you know, think it wasn't funny then. It really isn't funny now, but it's funny to me. He came by the house and he was bringing some, it was some excuse to come by the house. Cause I don't know, maybe his intuition, the spirit, something told him we was rumbling in there. <laughs> and so, So he came came to the door. I answered the door. I just remember like I was wearing this sweater and half of it was off my shoulder. And he came and he had a bottle of like aspirin or something like that. (laughs) It was like I said, I don't know what he has some kind of intuition or whatever. So anyway, he comes in. We have this conversation about money because, you know, this is our biggest beef at this point. There were a lot of other things, but it was affecting the finances. My pastor said, well, why don't each of you write down what you're each financially responsible for? Now, the reason that my pastor was having us to do this, because we try and get to see my ex-husband to see that I was shouldering 90% financially of what was going on. This wasn't even about him not having a job. He was working at that time. And so we went through that exercise or whatever. So my pastor, you know, puts the two papers there, you know, next to each other so we both can see. So he he looks at my husband and he's like, well, you know, what do you think about this? So you think if you're short here, don't you think maybe you should pick up some of the slack? She clearly is, you know, handling a lot of stuff. Well, he had the nerve to say, well, she can just stop paying her tithe. And <laughs> take care of Hey, listen, <laughs> your ex might have been my brother back in the day <laughs> my, because I'm feeling like I'm hearing myself. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I've come a long way. Isn't this crazy? Like, I literally was the one who had to be convinced to pay my tithes because it just seemed like the last thing on the list. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would love to like be rah-rah on your side right now, but I was just like him, just like him. Yeah. You know, and so, and I was so the other way, like times before anything, because that's the way I was brought up and not just because that's the way I was brought up, but it became my belief and one of my core values too. So not only was it tithe, but it was double tithe. And so he was like, no, she can just take all of that and, you know, take care of this, that, or the other. So at that point, I was like, this is not going to change because he wasn't willing to even meet me halfway. And again, there were just other issues too. As I already said, you know, we were rumbling and tumbling and, (laughs) you know, and the alcoholism and all kinds of things. It was just, it was very toxic. And I'm like, okay, this isn't 
there's no sign of anything changing. You know, we get counseling. We had counseling by our pastor. We had counseling outside of the church. And there was just no indication that he was willing to own any responsibility. And again, I believe that a lot of that had to do with his upbringing because he didn't have to be responsible. So that let, you know, it led to the failure of our marriage where I just made a decision like this is not how I want to live life like this. So. Yes. And me just trying to have this visual of my Lexi, you know, rumbling and tumbling. Y'all. I mean, <laughs> she is all of five. I don't know. Five, three. I would say, are you even five, three, five, three and a quarter, <laughs> five, three and a quarter, but itty bitty. <laughs> But that doesn't mean anything, right? Because size, you so still be tough. <laughs> Absolutely. Because I wasn't one of those ones that was going to be like, okay, you just hit me and I'm just going to cower down and cry. That mm-hmm. no, that was not me. Oh, man. It wasn't me. And the crazy thing about that, too, which is another reason why I was like, this has to end, was because me fighting and hitting on someone, that was never, you know what I'm saying? I'm mm-hmm. like, no, this is not who I am. Yeah. Nor is it who I want to be. Yeah. So all those issues just kind of compound with one another. So during the course of your relationship and you guys having these financial troubles, what prevented you from really getting help? So there are a couple of things that prevented me from getting help financially. That is, I mean, we would talk to the pastor or whatever, but you know, oftentimes pastors aren't experts in money and a lot of other things that you're going through. But I did not want to seek out any additional help outside of that. Number one, because of shame, you know, here I am, I'm the firstborn child. I was always held up, you know, as such, she's the example, you know, to my brother and my sister, cousins, whomever, you know, she's, you know, here's the example. And I did not feel like, you know, that I could speak freely to my parents. Now, hindsight, looking back, could I have? Yes. But this is just what I felt and what I was, you know, had in my mind and what I was putting in my mind, you know, that I can't go to them and talk to them about this. I can't go to my siblings and talk to them about this. I'm supposed to be the one leading the way. I'm supposed to be the example. I'm supposed to be, you know, the poster child, if you will. So that shame of everything that I was going through kept me from talking about it. The other thing that kept me from getting help or even just talking about it to people was the perception, what other people would think about me, right? That I didn't have it together, that we didn't have this, you know, happily married life with the 2.5 children and the house and the white picket fence and, you know, the pet and all that, which we had to have fish because I was allergic to dogs. (laughs) (laughs) So those things, the shame and the fear of judgment and all that kept me from getting help. So just to help them have a picture of money issues, right? Because somebody might look at money issues like, I just can't go splurge right now on this new bag or these new shoes or a new car for somebody might look like bad credit. Who knows? What did your guys' kind of poor financial picture look like? (laughs) So our financial picture looks like $300,000 worth of debt. Because you're talking about home that were foreclosed on, 
You're talking about two cars that have been repoed and the things you still owe on these things. When you talk about my student loans and credit card debt, medical bills, just, you know, you name it, we had it behind in utilities and, you know, things of that nature because the utilities was his only responsibility. And I would come home someday driving home from work, you know, and I'm hitting the little thing to look for the garage, automatic garage thing to go up and it's not going up. And I'm like, what is going on? You know, electricity's off. And so anybody who knows anything about paying your utility bills, you know, they give you about three months before they shut the stuff off. Mm-hmm. So at least they did where we were. And so you're talking about behind and all of those things, no savings, no emergency savings. You know, I had very little retirement savings at that time, but I wasn't, you know, trying to touch that for anything, end up doing that. But so we were, you know, in a pickle, <laughs> if you will. That's <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I wanted them to see that because when we talk about how far you've come, I want them to know you aren't talking about a couple of hundred dollars that you needed to, you know, or two overdraft fees. You're talking about real scary debt, you know. I know it. Well, I wish they were just two overdraft fees. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this stuff has, money has sent people over the edge. It has caused people to commit suicide, leave their families, abandon everything because they feel like there's no no way out. But- We know that you found a way out. (laughs) And so can you kind of tell us what started that kind of financial recovery process for you? Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, you know, you go through all kinds of, it leads to all kinds of things, all kinds of feelings. So I did go through, you know, bouts of depression. I did go through even thought of suicide because I just didn't have an, I felt like I didn't have an outlet. I felt like I couldn't go to anybody and talk to anybody about it. So at one point I did, after several months of not having, you know, a really good job, I did land a good job, which I was super excited about. And that job allowed me to be able to move me and my children into our own apartment. And, you know, I'm still mounds of debt, mind you, all of that debt from the marriage pretty much ended up on me because everything was in my name. Because when we got married, I was the one who had the better credit. I was the one who had, so we got everything (laughs) under my name. One night I was putting the children to bed as I normally did, you know, getting everything ready for the next morning for them to go to school. I would put them to bed. And then what I would do is just go downstairs because in my room, I didn't have furniture. (laughs) They had their bedroom suits. I mean, literally we were just in the apartment. Okay. (laughs) We didn't have much of anything. And so I would go downstairs, I'd lay out on the living room floor and I would just cry myself to sleep. So I did that again this one night. And Erica, I tell you, it was just a night where I just had, you know, I call it this ugly cry, you know, and I don't know how many of you out there are listening you've ever had this ugly cry, but you know, it's the cry where you're snotting all over. You can't even see out your eyes. There's so much tears coming. It's like a wailing. And, you know, at that point, you know, you're just like, you're hopeless. At least I was. And at that moment and that night, my only prayer to the Lord was, is this it, God? Is this the sum total of my life? Because if it is, 
you can just take me out of here. I'm done. Because you have to understand, prior to all that, you know, I went to college, had a couple of degrees, had a master's degree, mind you. I could always get the job I wanted. I was always able to get whatever it was I wanted. And so now I'm like, how did I even land in this mess, in this position? So the next morning after crying, you know, I heard spirit just tell me to get up, right? Get get up and do what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but get up, right? Because, yes. you know, sometimes the Lord just wants to see that you're going to put one foot, that one foot in front of the other, and then he'll continue to order your steps. And at the core of me, I knew that I wasn't ready to die. And at the core of me, I also knew that I was a fighter, not just a fighter, like physically with my husband, not like that, but, you know, a fighter that I wasn't just, you know, this is how you were raised. You were never raised to just lay over and take things. You were raised to, you know, take control and, you know, get in there and work it out. And so that's what I did. So that moment and the spirit telling me to get up and me saying, okay, I'm going to get up. I don't know what's next, but I'm going to get up. That was the moment that led to relief everywhere else because God then began to just move people, places, and things. Right? A couple of days later, you know, a coworker of mine said, Hey, I just sat down with this financial advisor. Do you want? She couldn't hardly even get the sentence out. And I was like, Yes, <laughs> because it was what I had been praying for. And I don't want to skip past or run yeah. past anything. The key right there was obedience too, because you got up. Then when your coworker presented something to you, you didn't him and haul. You said, sign me up, right? Yes. Yeah. So how yes. important was obedience to this whole process that you've gone through and leading to where you are today? Extremely important because, you know, oftentimes we will pray to God that, you know, something will change in our situations. And when we're presented with something, you know, then we're looking at it like, "Mm, I don't know, it doesn't quite look like it's supposed to, or there's an element of fear. Now, mind you, I was afraid because I certainly did. I really didn't want to talk to anybody about my situation. I felt like my situation was so extremely bad. And I was like, people were going to judge me. So there was fear. But what I had decided to do was to be courageous, which means to move in spite of fear. And that was everything because on the other side of that fear was my freedom. And freedom from the first freedom was like a mental one. It was the freedom from, you know, the depression, a freedom from the worry, a freedom from, you know, all of the things that were going on in my mind that didn't have to be going on in my mind if I had just, you know, been okay with asking for help earlier on. That's everything. Because if you can unloose the chains in your mind, if you can change your mindset, that's everything. The first thing that comes to my mind is that we have the mind of Christ, right? And if you have the mind of Christ, you're not in bondage. You can't be because he's not bound. Right. Right. And so, man, that says a lot. (laughs) That piece says a lot how just the obedience and taking those steps in faith, how that just sets your mind free, 
even when you didn't even know where God was leading you to. And it wasn't like, you know, he eradicated the debt overnight. And that's why your mind is free. Because sometimes we think that we're only going to get that breakthrough if he just makes the problem go away, you know, just like that. Right. But you even got that freedom and that deliverance just in the process. Yes, absolutely. And I'm glad that you brought that up because that was so true. So I sat down and I spoke with that financial advisor, that financial coach who was still, he and his wife, they are still my financial coaches today. And as I sat down with him and he just, you know, listened to me. And then he was like, okay, you know, this is what we need to do. This is how we're going to do this and ABC. And it was simple. I'm not going to say easy. It was simple because it was just kind of an ABC thing, but I had to be willing to do the work. But him just laying out that plan and telling me that, oh, this is possible. Yes, you're in quite a fix, but it's not going to be like this always. And this is how we're going to take care of this. And I'm telling you that just, yeah, that freedom in my mind was everything, everything. Yes. Listen, I can go on and on (laughs) about being free in the mind because your mind is like the central point of everything you're going to do. What you think, how you think has so much power over how you live, right? Or don't live, whichever way it goes. And you know how the old folks used to say an idle mind is the devil's playground, right? And to me, it's not even an idle mind. A mind that's not even, it's not fixed on the things of God. Yes, the devil's playground, right? (laughs) So absolutely. So now you have definitely overcome these humps and you have a completely new perspective on money. What is that new perspective? So my new perspective on money, and thank God for this, is just really understanding who I am in Christ, really understanding kingdom and how kingdom works. And I always say, if you want to know the end of a thing, you got to go to the beginning of a thing. And so, you know, from the very beginning in Genesis, you know, when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, you know, we've given them dominion right over the earth and they needed to be fruitful and to multiply. And that wasn't talking just about children making babies, but it was talking about every resource that he had provided for them. They were now in charge of that and they needed to multiply those resources And, you know, as they managed accordingly, they would see that they would have abundance. And so that's what I understand. And as I teach people today, I'm like, the key, it's really simple. The key is management. That's it. Not just in money, but in any and every area of our lives. God is looking at, can you manage the little bit that I've given you dominion over? Can you manage that? accordingly. And then the abundance will come. Yeah, that's powerful. That Genesis this past year, I've heard (laughs) Genesis one, just chapter one preached in ways I had never heard it before. Completely changed my mind and my thought about what God was doing (laughs) when he put us here. Right. Mind blowing. Mind blowing, life changing to say the least. I wish we had time today. (laughs) I wish we had time today because we can work that thing verse by verse. I'm telling you. 
So what would you say are three things that people can do like right now to get their financial affairs in some type of order? Yes. So number one, you need to make a decision. Okay. It's, you know, great to say, yeah, I got this on my vision board. Yeah. I want to improve my finances. Yeah. You know, we say everything that sounds nice, but we have not yet made a decision in our mind that it's going to be whatever it takes. That's the decision that you have to make. You can't just simply say, I want to improve my finances. It has to be the decision that I'm going to improve my finances and I'm going to do whatever it takes. So that's number one. Number two is, okay, now I got to look at where I'm at. Okay. And I can't be afraid to look at the numbers and I can't be afraid to look at the, you know, bills. I can't be afraid to confront some habits that I have that may not be serving me. I can't be afraid to confront maybe some limiting beliefs that I have in the area of money. I can't be afraid to confront the fact that I don't know much about money as I think I do, right? So you have to, the next thing is just taking stock and where am I? Because the only way we get from point A to point B is we got to know where point A is <laughs> so that we can get on the path to point B, right? So that's number two. And then number three is take action, you know? So you can do all of the assessing and, okay, this is where I am. And all right, I know that this is what it's going to take. And, you know, but if you don't take any action, you just be at point A. It's like getting in the car, turning the GPS on, It is telling you, okay, you know, this is going to take you 23 minutes to get there, but you don't move. You just sitting there, you know, and the GPS will say nothing (laughs) because you're not, you're not moving. (laughs) Right. So you've got to take action, whatever it takes, right. Have someone help you put that overall financial strategy in place and then follow it. Take action. Yeah. Those are three great points. First of all. Simple, doable, and, you know, you can really see a change right away if you just do those things. I think for a long time, even myself, I was fine with deciding and I was fine with evaluating, but it was like that. It was that sitting in the car, like, okay, I know where I want to get to, but that means I can't go to Target like every week or three times a week. That means I can't grab Starbucks for breakfast, you know, such and such place for lunch. And I don't feel like cooking. So I'm going to buy this for dinner and I want new shoes and I want new clothes and I want this and I want to travel here and I want to travel there. It was all the things that, you know, what do I have to give up in order to reach my, you know, financial goals. And quite honestly, y'all, I'm still working through it because it is a tug of war. I said I was spoiled. That's ingrained (laughs) in my mind, right? I want what I want when I want it. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and we're like that as humans, right? And the first thing when we talking about making changes of any kind, money related or not, the first thing that we do think about is, oh, I'm going to have to give up this or not do this. Those are the first things that we talk about or that we think about. But I'm like, hey, you got to switch that up because you're talking about making some sacrifices for a very short period of time, maybe it's six months, maybe it's a year, maybe it's three years. I don't know. It's different for everybody's situation, 
But six months, a year, two years, three years out of, you know, 75 years, you know, another 40 years, another 30 years, you know, we've got to put things in perspective. And the final thing is, it's like, well, do I want to have options the rest of my life? Like, sure, I can go out and get the Target, you know, whatever things I want to get from there and Starbucks and go on these trips and do all kinds of things right now because I want to do that right now. But what kind of options do I want to have a little later on in life? Right. Majority of people are working till they die. And that's good right there. That point right there, because little spoiled me. Right. It's I want what I want when I want it. But I also don't want to work forever. (laughs) Right. So I don't. It's more important that you got to make a decision. Yes. And that retirement early is what I want. Right. I want to be on my own terms more than I want the Starbucks, more than I want the Target, you know? So money equals options mm -hmm. and you have to have it. I can remember before we moved up here and we were living down South and this company I was working for, man, the grandma was there like three generations working. And I'm like, grandma should not have to be working. Why is she working? But she was working because there was no plan for the future. Right. And it's like, if I were the third generation person, like you see your future. This is your example. You're going to be right here at 65 doing the same thing grandma is doing, you know, and my particular role there was not what they were doing, right? They were doing, you know, some hard labor, if you ask me. And I watched that like never. I do not want to be in these shoes, you know, if I could get out, <laughs> listen, I got a countdown <laughs> and it does right. not include packing up, going to somebody's office in my sixties, you know, tell me about it. <laughs> so <laughs> what have you found is the key to financial success? So the key again is understanding that you have dominion. You have dominion. Now we say that that's a whole little buzzword. Let me qualify that. Okay. Yes, we have dominion, but we need to read carefully before we have dominion. <laughs> the, the scriptures say we were created in his image, right? And his image means or includes, you know, his character. And so therefore we need to make sure our character is in alignment because we're only going to give dominion to those who have the character, <laughs> Of Christ. So I wanted to qualify that, but that is the key to understanding that we have dominion. We have control. God has given us the ability to create wealth. Deuteronomy 18, 8, I believe it is. He's given us the ability to do so already. We go and we pray to him and say, oh, I need $50 or $100 or he's like, I get it. from before you were born. I gave you the ability to do this. Why are you coming to, you know, and asking me for 50 bucks? <laughs> like I've given you the ability to do it. So, and it's all in managing, you know, being a good steward, dominating over the little bit that we have so that we can tap into that abundance. Yes. I was trying to think there's a scripture, right? That says that he has given us the ability to create wealth or Mm -hmm. something. 
Deuteronomy 18.8. There you go. So y'all write that down. (laughs) It's Bible, right? It was never God's intention for us to be poor, for us to lack, for us to not to be able to produce. And it does not mean that we were all going to have the same dollar in our bank account, but we all have the same ability to dominate in whatever respective place that he's called us to. Right. Yes, absolutely. And as church folk, we better understand that because a lot of our limiting beliefs too come from church and conditioned to believe, you know, about money and that, oh, we shouldn't want money and we shouldn't, you know, the only thing that we need to be careful of is that we don't put it before God, but yeah. it is another resource that he has given us so that we may fulfill our purpose and our mission here on earth. Yeah. I mean, two things. First and foremost, right? When it comes to that, you need it. Like you said, it's a resource. It's not something you, I mean, you can't help anybody if you don't have any for one. When Jesus told this parable of the talents, was he not upset that one of the men buried the money that he did nothing with it? You know, Nothing with it. Totally violated Genesis. Yes. So that is a prime example that he puts something in our hand, whether it be your giftings, whether it be money, whatever. He didn't give it to you for you to shove it in the ground or to make waste of it. He gave it to you for it to be fruitful and multiply, right? So, and yes, we have to have his character and we should, you know, people say, well, money is evil. No, that's not what the Bible says. What does it say, pastor? (laughs) (laughs) The love of money is evil. I mean, we just think about some of the stuff we say, money is evil. Listen, if you're listening to me right now, pull a dollar bill out of your pocket or out of your wallet, set it down and then look at it. (laughs) If that thing, how is it evil? I mean, it's not a, person. It's not a, you know, it's just a piece of paper. It has it's just no a piece power. of paper. <laughs> That's all it is. It's not evil in and of itself. So it's whoever is the driving force behind it. Yes. It has no power. Idle money, whatever. It's a created thing. It needs you in order to do anything. So the money itself, your love of it is what is evil, right? Exactly. Because of what it, it causes you to do in order to possess it. So, you know, Yes. Whole nother sermon again for another day. (laughs) (laughs) But listen, guys, there's so much that we could talk about as it pertains to money, the kingdom, getting your affairs in order. I think hopefully you heard this conversation and what you take from it is that there is no shame. And the sooner that you get your money in order, the sooner things will turn around, the sooner you can have a little bit more hope for what God wants to do with you. And it's in obedience to him that our affairs be in order. We are created in his image and God is a good steward of everything he has. And so we need to be the same. So Lex, how can the people reach you, connect to you? Yeah, absolutely. To get some help. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. They can go to my website. It's thelexijohnson.com, T-H-E-L-E-X-I, johnson.com. There are several places to click to get me to schedule some time with me. You can also, I'm on social media at thelexijohnson, pretty much everywhere, I guess, with the main ones, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. You can find me there. You can inbox me. I'm very reachable you know, very approachable. So definitely reach out to me. Would love to help. Yes, absolutely. And we'll make sure we drop her info in the show notes. 
So thanks for tuning in. We will be back again with many more stories, but I hope you enjoyed Lexi as much as I did and see you next time. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope this story has been as much of an encouragement to you as it was to me and a reminder of the power in sharing your story. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast and share it with every powerful woman you know. As always, you can keep up with all the latest Women Unveiled happenings by joining our mailing list at womenunveiled.info and following us on Instagram. All the links and resources from today's episode will be in the show notes. That's all for now. See you next time.